This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, teenage pregnancy, grooming and gaslighting of an adolescent, and emotional and physical abuse by an adult against a minor. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 305. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you what's new with my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 46 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Abby Preston is one of the strongest telepaths the Collective has ever seen. Born to mundane parents in Metamore City, Abby was discovered by Victor Hincavos, a powerful telekinetic who worked for the PSYOPs division at Military Intelligence. Victor brought Abby into the Collective when she was 12 years old, after her parents died under mysterious circumstances. Abby quickly idolized Victor as the brave knight who had rescued her from the monsters. Apart from his military duties, Victor also served as a combat instructor at Westfall Academy, where Abby was integrated into Collective life and learned to control her powers. However, unbeknownst to others at Westfall, Victor was carefully grooming Abby, manipulating her emotions, and training her to trust him above all others. When Victor left the Collective, intent on starting a family outside the Elder's control, he took the now 16-year-old Abby with him. Within three weeks, he had gotten her pregnant. Miriam Bakhtavar tried to track down Victor and Abby, but her agents were no match for Victor in cunning and ruthlessness. Once Victor knew who was trying to get Abby back from him, he deployed his secret weapon, a back-channel alliance with William Westerson, the security czar for the Vampire Crime Syndicate. Westerson had his own reasons to get rid of Miriam. She had sponsored a raid against Westerson's security firm, which caused enormous damage and stole their most precious secrets. With the intel Victor provided, the Syndicate hunted down Miriam and turned her into a vampire, binding her to their control. Miriam now acts as an unwilling mole within the Collective's leadership, desperately looking for a way to subvert her master's commands and free herself. Needless to say, she has bigger problems to worry about than one teenage runaway. Abby has been left to fend for herself. Our story continues, six months later.
Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Part 3. Comeback. Chapter 46. Monday, December 2nd, 1995. Christos Reckoning. Danger. The thought came to Abby in her dreams, a primal fear that whispered incessantly in the corners of her mind. Danger. 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 It was not a word as such, only instinct and emotion, like the thoughts of an animal that smells smoke but cannot yet see the fire. Not safe here. Not safe. Get away. Get away now. Danger. Abby awoke in a start, her body covered in cold sweat. Again. She would have sat bolt upright in bed if her pregnant belly hadn't been weighing her down. She rolled over on her side, hanging her head over the edge of the bed. Her stomach heaved, but nothing came up. The wordless fear still clutched at her mind, but now that she was awake she recognized the source. Placing a hand on her stomach, she summoned all the comfort and reassurance she could muster, and sent them into the mind of Darla, her unborn daughter. It's okay, honey. It's going to be all right. Darla accepted the comfort and stopped her litany of terror, but she also sent back disagreement, a wordless equivalent to, I don't believe you. You're wrong. Why am I wrong? Abby asked. Then, more hesitantly, she added, What have you seen? An anxious jumble of half-formed thoughts assaulted her. None of them made any sense. Abby sighed and rubbed her temples. She had suspected it wouldn't work, but she had to keep trying. Abby had some ESP, but it was weak. She sometimes had vague premonitions, like the dream that had warned her of her parents' death, but she couldn't actually see the future. Like many espers, her power was completely passive, unlike her strong telepathic abilities. Victor had even weaker ESP than Abby. He could sense air molecules well enough to use his telekinesis on them, but he had never had visions, as far as Abby could tell. Darla was a different story. Even at six months' gestation, she seemed to have the gift of the second sight, in addition to a strong aptitude for telepathy. She'd been carrying on these wordless conversations with Abby for nearly two months now. Unfortunately, Darla's Esper talents weren't much help, because she didn't have the context for whatever it was that she was seeing. Her reasoning abilities weren't fully developed yet, and wouldn't be for years. She was seeing something, that much was obvious, but she hadn't yet developed the ability to examine what she saw and pick out the parts that were relevant. In time, she would learn how to pass on her visions directly to Abby, but that was a trick that required a fair amount of cognitive power in its own right. The end result was that Darla was easily frustrated and prone to emotional outbursts, like a stroke victim who was no longer able to put into words the things she needed to communicate. Abby soothed her as best she could. Never mind, she said. Sleep now, Darla. 
Darla stubbornly rallied one last thought before drifting off. Get away soon. Not safe. As her daughter's mind fell quiet, Abby got up and padded over to the bathroom. She splashed some cold water on her face and looked at her bloodshot eyes in the mirror. I'm only sixteen, she thought bitterly. Why do I feel so old? Everything all right? Victor's reflection appeared in the mirror behind her. It was a mark of how frazzled she was that she hadn't even noticed the buzz of mental static that heralded his approach. No, she said flatly, taking the towel and drying her face. It happened again, Victor. That's the third time this week. He glowered. Damn these worthless doctors. You'd think they could give you something to help you sleep. Abby let out an exasperated sigh. I told you it's not safe for the baby. And anyway, they aren't nightmares. Something's wrong with Darla. She's terrified, and I don't know why. Victor put his hands on her shoulders and rubbed them. Are you sure she's not just having nightmares? Even mundane children can have bad dreams. Maybe our little genius just has an overactive imagination. Abby shook her head. No. I can tell the difference between dreams and... and visions. Darla knows something. She just doesn't know how to tell me. Victor sighed. All right, I'll find you another doctor. Maybe he can figure out what's wrong with her. Abby turned around and looked at him imploringly. She needs a collective doctor, Vic. These Mundies don't know anything about telepathic pregnancies. What do you think they're going to do, get her a shrink? Victor's face shuddered, his body instantly going tense. He took his hands off her shoulders and turned away. We've already been over this. I'm not going to let the elders get their hands on my daughter. Abby grabbed for his mind as he left. As usual, she couldn't get a firm hold, and she stomped her foot in irritation. She's my daughter too, damn it! And if we don't get her some real help, she's going to be so traumatized by the time she's born that we'll be lucky if she isn't catatonic. What's that going to accomplish, except proving to the elders that they were right all along? Victor made no response. He just stood there with his back to her, halfway from the bathroom to the bedroom door. Maybe I'm finally getting through to him, Abby thought. Look, she said, deliberately softening both her tone and her body language. I know we wanted to try living on our own, but it... It hasn't exactly worked out the way we planned. The hive wasn't perfect, but at least we didn't have to live in these filthy apartments where even the Mundies don't want to live. She took a few steps forward and put a gentle hand on his shoulder. I just want to make sure we're doing what's best for Darla. Maybe it's time to go home. No! Victor wheeled on her like a caged animal. Before she could react, a telekinetic grip had seized her and flung her back against the wall. She cried out at the impact, and the invisible force tightened around her neck, cutting off her air. He held her half a meter off the floor, which put her more or less at his own eye level. He got up in her face, his eyes flashing with a madman's fury. 
I'm sick of your whining, Victor shouted. Spoiled little brat! I rescued you! Taught you! Got you out from under the Elder's control! Is this how you repay me? He slapped her, hard. You ungrateful whore! Do you know what they'd do with you if they had you? They'd take your daughter away from you the instant they could cut her out of you. Then they'd give you to some wrinkled old elder you've never met and let him fuck you until your belly swells with his child. They'd do it to you again and again and again. You'd be nothing but a broodmare for the next batch of slaves in service to the exalted collective. Is that what you want, you stupid bitch? Is it? Abby tried to answer, but she couldn't get a breath in or out past Victor's unseen grip. Desperately, she waved her hands at him, then gestured at her neck. Abruptly, Victor seemed to realize what he was doing. He blinked and shook his head, and when he looked at her again, the mad gleam in his eyes had faded. Now looking worried, he lowered her to the floor and released his grip on her neck. Abby slid down the wall coughing and gasping for air. Oh, no, Victor murmured. No, 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 I didn't. I wasn't. He reached out toward her. She flinched away, wrapping her arms around her belly. Baby, no, I'm sorry, he said, crouching down on the floor next to her. I didn't mean to hurt you. You just got me so angry, I I couldn't think straight. She sobbed once, then choked back her frightened tears. She couldn't look at him. He reached out and ran his hand over her hair, and even that made her skin crawl. I'm sorry, baby, he said again, his tone earnest. You know I've got this temper. I hate it, but it's helped keep me alive. Keep us both alive. I... I shouldn't have said those things. But when you talked about going back to the elders, about taking my... Our child away from me. He shook his head. You shouldn't say things like that, Abby. You know what can happen when people make me angry. So this is my fault? Abby shuddered. She wanted to scream at him, wanted to run away and hide, wanted to be anywhere but in that room with him. She settled for keeping herself as still and as quiet as possible, desperate not to say or do anything that might set him off again. Victor sighed, then got to his feet. Listen, we're not the only teeps to ever leave the collective. Let me see if I can find a telepathic doctor who can take care of this quietly. There's got to be at least one of them in this city who isn't one of the Elder's pawns. If I can't find one in, let's say, a week, then we can go to the doc you want to see. Who knows, maybe the problem will go away by then. Is that all right, baby? Abby nodded vigorously. Promise anything, she thought. Say whatever he wants, just as long as he goes away. Just as long as he doesn't hurt me again. All right. All right. Victor looked at his hands a moment, then wiped them on his pants. I'm going to meet with some of my contacts. See if they know an OBGYN who treats telepaths. I'll be back in a few hours, okay? Okay, Abby whispered. She closed her eyes and waited for him to leave. After hesitating for another long moment, 
he did so. Ten minutes after he left, Abby gathered the strength to get up and move again. She immediately started packing. Abby had been naive, dangerously naive, but she wasn't stupid. She still couldn't read Victor's mind, but it didn't take telepathy to see that his rage controlled him. She'd seen glimpses of that rage before, but always directed at other people. Foolishly, she'd thought that his love for her made her immune. She knew better now. Oh yes, he'd said he was sorry. Maybe he even believed it himself. But even if that were so, the part of Victor that was sorry wasn't the part in control. If he did this once, he'd do it again. To her, or, gods forbid, to Darla. And next time he might not stop before it was too late. Then it wouldn't matter how sorry he was. She filled a small bag with essentials, not that she owned all that much that wasn't essential, and put on several layers of clothes. Then she grabbed the little black book that held Victor's contacts and started looking through the listings. Victor had pointed out one reality all too well. She couldn't go back to the hive alone. His warnings about the elders cutting her child out of her seemed entirely too plausible. And, given Victor's own mental instability, they might not wait until the child was old enough to survive the procedure. She'd been in the creche long enough to know how much the Collective feared insanity in its members. A telepath as powerful as Darla had the potential to influence a lot of others. If they suspected that Victor's madness might be passed down, they might decide Abby's daughter was more risk than she was worth. Abby needed an ally, badly. And there was only one person in Victor's book who had the necessary connections and also seemed trustworthy. The work number in the book was out of date, but a call to the receptionist gave her the information she needed. Taking her purse on one arm and her bag on the other, she set out to find Daniel Sharabi. And that's the end of Chapter 46. Come back next time, when we'll see how Psy Therapy is going for Danny and Fiona. Haruki Murakami said, Dreaming is the day job of novelists, but sharing our dreams is a still more important task for us. We cannot be novelists without this sense of sharing something. So, let's open up my dream journal and see what I've added this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of September 25th through October 1st. Last Saturday, I started work on an important project that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Beta reading and copy edits for The Cormorant, the next novel from Abigail Hilton. Abby is a longtime friend of mine and has been a secret weapon for editing my own books. She's had her hands on every novel I've written since Things Unseen, and she's made each one of them better. She put her own writing on pause last winter to finish the edits for the Honor Bound trilogy, and now it's time for me to return the favor. Over on the Patreon feed, we have a new piece of bonus art. 
Metamore City artist Carol Foote has released her eighth illustration for a Lightbringer Carol. This one shows a scene from Stave Two, The Ghost of Solstice Present, when Janus overhears a conversation between Candace and her brother Glenn. I really love the emotions that Carol has brought out in this piece. It's visible to all patrons at the $1 level or higher. When you join my Patreon campaign, you'll get exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. That includes awesome bonus art from artists like Carol, Ben Clifford, and Randall Fulton. If you subscribe at the $3 level or higher, you'll also get access to the first drafts of new stories as I'm writing them, plus character bios, cover reveals, and other fun stuff. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. Roughly 90% of what you donate goes directly to me, helping me pay for things like web hosting, file distribution, writing software, cover design, and all that sweet new artwork. If you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. I couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.